Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Hello there, and welcome to today's program. We had a great parents panel last week. Today, um, open phones, open email. Got a bunch of emails in the queue, but we always take uh, callers as our top priority on this program. We're sort of just getting rolling again here in our new year of uh, parenting your challenging child. Um, but uh, let me know if you have something on your mind. If you have a question, uh, the call-in number is 347-994-2981. And um, feel free to call in if you have a question, comment, whatever. That's what we're here for on this program. We, The goal uh, is to help you feel supported, um, help you get your questions answered. Um, let's face it. Parenting a behaviorally challenging kid, no bowl of cherries, no walk in the park. It can be isolating, frustrating. People with challenging kids often feel desperate, de-energized. You know, a lot of folks get their batteries charged somewhere if things aren't so great at home. Sometimes they get their batteries charged at work. If things aren't so great at work, sometimes they get their batteries charged at home. Uh, parents of challenging kids sometimes feel like that uh, getting your batteries charged at home thing uh, hard because, my goodness, life at home is sometimes uh, way more difficult than life at work. And if life at work isn't that easy, well, where are you getting your batteries charged? Got to get your batteries charged. Um, but if things are still difficult at home that's a battery drain Uh, that's not good sometimes that means finding some other way to take care of yourself outside of work, outside of home if work's getting the job done then maybe you got charged batteries when you walk in the door at night at home or whenever you walk in the door at home it's draining you know there's one big antidote to draining, and that's, well, better. Helping things get better is uh, charging to the batteries. The problem is collaborative problem solving, learning it, putting on the new lenses, doing things differently, uh, that takes energy too. Hard to do when your batteries are drained, but um, worth it. 
The hard part is finding the energy to put the new lenses on, finding the energy to learn about the three plans, the three steps of plan, plan B, trying to get good at plan B. That all takes energy. So that's that's the hard part. Um, yeah, plan B is hard. Finding the energy to do it, really hard. But that's what this program is for, if Lives in the Balance can do its small part to help you get your batteries charged, help you not feel so alone, get your questions answered. Well, by golly, that's why we do this every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, and that's why all of those resources on the Lives in the Balance website are free. The last thing we'd want to have happen is for it all to cost you money. Um we do have a caller. I do have a topic for today. It's sort of an offshoot of something we began talking about on the parents panel last week, but as you know, callers always take priority. So I'm going to take our caller from area code 772. Caller, don't. Oops. Caller, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you? Don't tell us where you're from. Don't use any names, but we're delighted to have you on the program today. What's on? What's going on? Um, I wanted to ask a question. I say I had written all these notes. Um, when I have a child who um, behaves really well at school, never a problem, but then at home has um, this explosive behavior. And um, I guess that starts to get and maybe that's the wrong lenses. I start to feel like I'm being played a fool. Um, but I'm realizing, you know, the coming down hard, none of the other ways of responding to it are working. So I'm trying to um, really put into action your collaborative B, I mean, I'm sorry, plan B. And, well, I guess that one question was, though, you know, when this behavior is there a time when it becomes learned behavior? Because that's what I was kind of going towards before I started listening to you. And I had listened to your, one of your tapes where you said, like, your one child's a screamer and your wife is um, uh, a swear and a screamer. And at certain points we know we have these responses and we have to learn how to control them. Do we not ever expect our children, like, does it become a learned behavior to just go off and call me an idiot every time he's mad or to just throw something at me? Good questions. I'm going to take them one at a time, though. Okay. Are you ready? Because mm -hmm. you've asked several. Uh, the first one was, why does this child behave well outside the home and not at home, and are you being taken for a fool? Yes? I'm confident that you're not being taken for a fool. So let's get that out of the way quickly. Um, not only that, I don't think you thinking you're being taken for a fool is going to be helpful. So I wouldn't think about it. Okay. People, and I know, I know what I act like when I feel like I'm being taken for a fool, and it's not pretty. So let's get that one going. Okay. Okay. But the reality is, I mean, here, here's here's this might make you feel better, it might make you feel worse. I'm not sure. It will, it will help you not feel so alone. In my experience, the most common presentation of challenging behavior is that it occurs primarily at home and not outside the home. Now, does that mean there are, aren't kids who, are there kids who uh, 
behave poorly outside the home but not in the home. Yeah, that exists. I find that to be relatively rare. Are there kids whose challenging behavior occurs in both places? Yeah, that's probably in second place for the most common scenario. But the most common scenario, in my experience, is that the kid looks far worse at home than he does at school. Now, I could normalize that for you and say that almost all of us look better outside the home than inside the home, but I don't think that's going to do the trick. I mean, I, I think that it's true, mm-hmm. but I don't know if that's going to make things better. But the reality is all of us do look better outside the home than we do in it. In it, we relax, we let down our guard, we, uh, you know, we're, we're not so worried about what it's going to look like when, our in, when we're inside the home. And there are some challenging kids for whom what we might call the embarrassment factor is working. They are holding it together at school, often putting lots of energy into it, and then sometimes decompensating or at least looking a lot worse when they're back at home again, where this is not such unusual behavior, but where in particular the embarrassment factor isn't in effect because you all have seen this a lot. So sometimes the embarrassment factor is powerful enough to help a behaviorally challenging kid look better outside the home than in it. But here's, in my opinion, the more likely explanation, although the embarrassment factor can be pretty meaningful in some kids. Obviously, the ones who are having difficulty outside the home as well, they're blowing right through the embarrassment factor. But what I find is this. Uh, if, If it's true challenging kids are lacking crucial skills, and if it's true that those lagging skills are especially problematic for them in the conditions in which those skills are being demanded, and as you've read, I call those unsolved problems, it's possible that the school environment has fewer unsolved problems attached to it than the home environment. That's not an indictment of the home environment. It's just that the home environment just just naturally less structured. If a kid needs more structure, then that could be an issue. Um, if a kid isn't exactly sure what he's supposed to be doing, then he's got peers to look to as models in school or just you know sort of go with the herd in school. Um, there's lots of differences between environments and demands outside of the home as compared to inside the home. So between that and the embarrassment factor, it shouldn't be surprising to us that a lot of behaviorally challenging kids look worse outside the home than they do in it. So the good news is I am quite confident that you're not being taken for a fool, but I'm equally confident that we really need to get a handle using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems as our guide, we really need to get a handle on what uh, skills uh, your child is lacking and what unsolved problems are reliably and predictably setting in motion his, what I call, incompatibility episodes. We'll call them challenging episodes. But the reason I call them incompatibility episodes is because they suggest that there's incompatibility between the demands that are being placed upon your child, and the skills that your child has to respond adaptively to those demands. So let's get the ball rolling here for a second. Can you tell me one, there's probably many, 
Um, tell me a specific circumstance in which you're quite certain your child is going to have difficulty at home. Let's hear about one unsolved problem. Um, well, one we had last week, we're driving to school, so we're still sort of in the confines of home, I guess. Um, we're driving to school, and he's asking me a question that I don't, I can't understand, and I'm not able to focus on it the way I need to be to answer his question. And he's becoming increasingly frustrated that I am not answering his question. And so he starts kicking the back of my chair while I'm driving and calling me an idiot. Sounds like it qualifies. Now here's my question. That ever happened before? Yes. Sometimes it happens if he wants me to, he's very into cars and model and makes of cars, and he's like, Mom, look at this car. But I can't see which way he's pointing because he's behind me. Yep. And he'll be like, you missed it. And then he gets he very really, upset. And then he's, yeah, kind of kicking me. like, you're an idiot. And so Now let me ask you another question. Is this um, frustration with you not seeing a passing car or not understanding what he's saying or not being able to give him your fullest attention while you're driving? Um, that that occurs in the car, of course. Does it occur outside the car where your son is trying to explain himself, trying to tell you about something, and getting very frustrated with either how long it's taking you or um, that you're not understanding? Does that happen outside of the car too? Um, you know, I guess it could. It doesn't seem to happen as often as in the car. So one thing's for certain. If your son is asking for you to pay attention to a passing car or understand something he's saying with your full attention and rapidly while you're driving in the car, if you're unable to do that or respond as quickly as he, was li as he would like, he's going to get very frustrated. Yes? Yes. So um, we've now identified an unsolved problem. What's the lagging skill? Well, now that's a very good question. I, you know, I'm jumping straight to unsolved problems. My usual approach to this, and we don't. The problem is we don't have time to do it on the program, so I, I jump to uh, unsolved problems. I usually start with lagging skills. What is the uns, What is the lagging skill that could contribute to that? You know, it could be any or many of the lagging skills listed in the lagging skill section of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. You, uh, have you downloaded that from the Lives in the Balance website? I have, and I keep coming back to this one, which is rather general. Difficulty managing emotional response to frustration, so as to think clearly. Yes, and that's, I mean, that he's, I will say, <laughs> he's, he's definitely there. But um, that one, it, it is the rare behaviorally challenging kid who doesn't have that one checked off. <laughs> right. So that's mm -hmm. sort of, so that, but, you know, that's, I'd rather have people, I mean, so that, you know, many people would say, so that's a meaningless item. If every kid has it checked off, it's a meaningless item. No, it's not. It's a very meaningful item. Given what people frequently say about challenging kids, I'd much rather have them thinking that the child is having difficulty managing his emotional response to frustration so as to think clearly. I'll take that any day than having <laughs> them say manipulative, attention-seeking, coercive, unmotivated, limit-testing, or 
the one you've added to our uh, parlance this this morning. Um, Fine, maybe. Taking you for a fool. Here's the interesting thing. One thing I can guarantee you about your son, back to the taking you for a fool part, he's not taking you for a fool full-time. He's taking you for a fool part-time, and therefore I've come to the conclusion that he's not taking you for a fool because I don't think he'd be taking you for a fool part-time. I think there's something about that situation, and you've just named a um, great candidate for lagging skill. I'm also, you know, I don't, I haven't heard anything about your son, and this is the disadvantage of completely skipping the lagging skill section. I wonder if um, your son, there's a few things on the ALSIP that might also apply to him. I, I'm sort of vaguely knowing nothing about him, wondering about language processing skills, if he's getting extremely impatient with you, understanding something he's saying. Um, you'd know better than me whether he's saying it in a way that isn't easy to comprehend or whether it's just that you're not able to devote your fullest attention to him at that moment. Um, I'm wondering also further down the ALSIP about him having an idea in his head about the way something's going to go, and if it doesn't exactly go that way, um, him having a great deal of difficulty with it, you'd you'd be the better judge of those. Um, it's often the case that while a particular lagging skill is what helps you identify a certain unsolved problem, it's also the case that each unsolved problem can probably explained be, be explained by multiple lagging skills. So. Mm. Um, the, the good news is you've, you've certainly landed on one that very much seems to apply, and the good news is that is a skill. The bad news is it seems to be a skill that your son does not have in great abundance, and so we're going to want to work on that unsolved problem so as to help him develop that skill. Um, but the unsolved problem, and the good news is, well, the bad news is that it does happen fairly frequently in the car, the good news is that that's very predictable and that that is a problem-solving discussion you can have with your son way before the problem comes up again so that you can, and this would be the empathy step of plan B, but now now we've, we don't want to be doing this emergently. You're in the car. That's, that's not ideal timing. That's um, the worst possible timing. We want to have this discussion with him proactively, and here's how I think the empathy step might sound proactively. Um, I've noticed, let's say that your son's name is Bobby. We're not going to use real names on the program. Bobby, I've noticed that sometimes when we're in the car and you want me to listen to what you're saying or notice a car that's out there, when I can't do that as quick as you'd like, that's very hard for you. What's up? And that's the beginning of the empathy step. And it's in the empathy step where we are gathering information about his concern or perspective on that unsolved problem. And we're not going to leave the empathy step until we have the clearest possible sense of his concern or perspective on that unsolved problem. We're then going to move on to the define the problem step, which is where you're going to get your concern or perspective entered into consideration. Um, I'm going to for the, for the sake of time, I'm going to bet that your concern or perspective is that when he gets very upset in the car, it's unsafe and it could cause an accident, um, and you'd prefer that that not happen. Then comes the invitation, which is where you are inviting him to brainstorm solutions with you that will address the concerns of both parties. 
invitations usually start with the words, I wonder if there's a way, and here's how that might sound, because you usually want to get the concerns of both parties entered back into consideration in the invitation. I wonder if there's a way for us to do something about, and, and here's the hard part, we don't know what he's going to say. We don't know what his concerns are going to be, in which case I can't do the invitation perfectly at this moment because we really don't know what his concerns are going to be. But invitations usually start with, I wonder if there's a way, and then you're saying, I wonder if there's a way to, and then you're going to talk about what his concern is and trying to do something about it. I know what your concern is because I just made it up. Without it becoming unsafe in the car, and that could cause us to get into an accident. Do you have any ideas? And then you two are brainstorming potential solutions. What's the whole key here? We're doing all of this proactively because the unsolved problem is highly predictable. Now, I've just been talking quite a bit. Um, you mentioned something. A any questions about any of that before we move on to the rest of the questions that you had? Yeah, I, well, it's maybe too long, too, is that I really am challenged by the proactive plan B of finding the time, because uh, I did try to do this proactively with my son, and uh, but I think I've learned maybe I have to give myself more credit and or, or be more gentle with myself, because I was like, oh, I'm a failure at this, it's not working, um, because he's definitely not very responsive, and... Um, he doesn't want to talk about his behavior, and we usually and I then I try to I, we find we're avoiding it because we don't want to get him all. When we try to talk about his behavior, it usually his frustration level starts to increase, and then we're having a problem when there was peace. So. So here's the deal: you're actually not talking. The unsolved problem is actually not his behavior. And what you're running into, possibly, if you're doing it proactively, first of all, um, if this is a new skill for you, this Plan B stuff, then um, not only do I not think you're being taken for a fool, so we can get that off the list, I also don't think you're a failure because you're having trouble mastering something that you're brand new at. So um, we may have to work on a little bit, You'd, you'd be the better judge of how much. Um, we don't want um, you to talk yourself out of Plan B because of some of the things you're saying to yourself when the going gets rough. Yes? You're not being taken for a fool. You're not a failure. This is really hard. And here's the cool part. Um, if you want to do this, I, from you I'd go back and try proactive Plan B with him in the way that I'm about to describe. And then, if you want call into the program next week mm -hmm. and tell us how it went. This is something we frequently do on this program, and this is sort of one of the great things about doing a weekly program. We can, and I do this, by the way, I do this with mental health professionals who are learning how to do this and learning how to teach other people how to do Plan B. I listen to their work, and then I give them feedback, and they go back and they try it again. And that's, quite frankly, the best way to get better at this. But here's the piece that I would, uh, here, here's the piece that I might modify we're actually not talking to your son about his behavior, per se. We're talking with him about a specific unsolved problem. The behavior is actually not the unsolved problem. The behavior is what happens in the midst of the unsolved problem because the unsolved problem is still unsolved. 
So, so long as this car problem remains unsolved, he'll continue getting upset in the car. But whatever he's doing when he's getting upset in the car actually isn't the unsolved problem. The unsolved problem is you not always being able to understand what he's saying as quickly as he'd like you to, and you not always being able to see a passing car that he'd like you to notice. That's the unsolved problem. The reason we want to do it that way is because I find that a lot of kids, if this is about their behavior, rather than about us seeking information on an unsolved problem, a lot of kids won't talk because it feels like it's about them. Mm-hmm. And it's about their behavior. And not every kid will shut down under those circumstances, but I think that we greatly heighten the likelihood of a kid shutting down under those circumstances if what we're talking about is his behavior. So, um, do you want to try it? Yes. Go back. Because I think I've always been with the lens of it's about his behavior and I've got to get this under control right away. Yep. Well, number one, bad news, you're not going to get it under control right away. Number two, though I've never met you or your son, I'm optimistic, as I always am, that if you're doing plan B, eventually we're going to get this under control. Okay. But if we focus on behavior, Mm -hmm. then we're focused on screaming and, you know, name-calling. And I don't usually find that to be productive at all. The, the only time I recommend that people focus on behavior is if they have no idea whatsoever about the conditions in which the behavior is occurring. But you do. And in fact, just to make this even harder, you know, you call in, you get homework, right? Um, what, what would be great for you to do is not only try plan B on that unsolved problem, but also make a list of every unsolved problem that's setting in motion the types of behaviors that your son is exhibiting that are causing you concern. And here's one thing you're going to find. He's not exhibiting those behaviors all the time. He's only exhibiting those behaviors some of the time. And those some of the times I think you're going to find, this is almost always the case, are highly predictable because the unsolved problems that are setting in motion the challenging episodes are highly predictable. They've happened before. So you've got your unsolved problem related to you understanding what he's saying and noticing passing cars in the car. And I'm betting you have other highly predictable unsolved problems that that you could be working on solving with him. What I find is that when we're working on behavior, first of all, that causes a lot of kids to shut down and not talk. And secondly, it occurs across so many situations that we really don't even know what unsolved problem we're working on right now. We want to work on specific unsolved problems two or three of them at a time. The rest we're not working on right now, which means that you'll need a list of all of the unsolved problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes. And then you'll have to prioritize which ones am I going to work on first because I can't work on everything. The more I try to work on everything, the less I'll have to show for my efforts. Let's get two or three unsolved problems going. Try it this week, especially on the one that we talked about today. Call in next week. Let us know how it went. Try to keep track of the details, what you said, what he said. This is about a specific unsolved problem. Stay with the empathy step even longer than you normally would. We don't want to leave the empathy step too early. 
In fact, in your first try, I would only do the empathy step. I would do the other two steps another day, just so that you can focus solely on the empathy step and getting that one down, Pat. Call in next week. Let us know what happened. Okay. What do you think? Um, I think that sounds good, and perhaps that answers that next question I had about learned behavior. I seem to be doing a lot of focusing on the behavior and trying to fix the behavior that I think you probably tell me that once we could start doing this more proactively, a lot of his, what seemed to me, almost knee-jerk reactions, responses to frustration, I should see them fall away. And at that point, you won't be wondering if it's learned or not. I think not having met you or your son, um, it sounds to me, and this is how I'd probably prefer to say it, like your son is lacking the skills to handle frustration under specific circumstances. When he gets frustrated in those circumstances, he doesn't have the skills to respond to frustration adaptively, so he responds to frustration maladaptively, just like all of us do when the demands of the environment exceed the skills that we have to respond adaptively to those demands. It's just that your son is responding maladaptively more often, and that's a major concern. And in my opinion, that mostly says that he doesn't have the skills to handle those frustrations when they come up, nor the skills to solve those problems when they come up. But he could have them at school, but he doesn't have them at home. Well, I'm not necessarily buying that he has them at school. It could be, as we talked about earlier, it could be the embarrassment factor, holding him tightly wrapped. It could be that um, there's certain things about the demands at school or the school environment that makes it more possible for him to handle those demands at school. What I find, though, that is if we say that these behaviors are learned, the people who are usually blamed, by the way, for the fact that the kid learned them is the parents. So now we not only have you feeling like you're being taken for a fool, we not only have you feeling like a failure, but we have society in general and many major theories about challenging kids in particular saying that this is your fault. And I don't think it's your fault. You'd know better than me whether you handle frustration well or not. If you do, then apparently those skills missed a generation. He doesn't have them. Uh, If he had them, we'd be seeing them. And now I'm going to go back to one of the key themes of collaborative problem solving, because kids do well if they can. And I'm willing to bet the house that your son would rather be handling frustration well than handling frustration poorly. Every challenging kid I've ever worked with preferred to do well and preferred handling frustration well. So there's a bunch of stuff we don't want you thinking. You're not being taken for a fool. He didn't learn it. He's lacking skills. Um, Now let's see how Plan B goes this week. If you solve the problems that are setting in motion these episodes, I don't think you'll be wondering if he learned it anymore. You've got the problem solved. Sound good? Sounds good. 
do not hesitate to call in next week and let us know how it goes because I'd be delighted to follow up with you and fine-tune any other aspect of Plan B that you're having trouble with. Let's get behavior out of the empathy step and talk about specific unsolved problems. Let's see if that gets your son talking. And by the way, I'll say this. I don't come across many kids who don't want to share their concern or perspective so long as they don't feel that this is all about them and so long as they don't feel that this is only about their behavior. So if he has the capacity to talk, and you haven't said anything that suggests that he doesn't. No, he's seven. He can talk. He can talk, and is he a fairly verbal kid um, except when you're trying to do plan B with him? Yes. So let's operate on the assumption, I could be wrong about this because sometimes language processing issues are more nuanced, but let's assume that he has the skills to talk until we hear back from you next week and you let us know exactly what you said, exactly what he said. Once again, I would do the, as I recommend to almost everybody, when you go into this, try the empathy step proactively and only the empathy step on day one. If you feel like you've satisfactorily completed the empathy step, you've had your aha moment, you now feel like you understand what his concern or perspective is on the unsolved problem you're talking to them about, the next day, try to define the problem step. And if you get through that, that one doesn't usually take very long. Go into the invitation. Don't think of this as technique This is more a process than a technique. You may still be on the empathy step on day two. You don't want to move on to the define the problem step until you feel like, you know what, I finally get it. I finally understand. Because at the moment, we're only guessing. We've got a lagging skill that we think is coming into play. But the reality is, we really don't know what is so frustrating for your son about this. And I'm hoping that he's going to be able to tell you. If we don't know and all we're talking about is his behavior, and what we're doing is trying to get rid of the kid's behavior, well, I find that to be not productive. Now, one of our listeners, by the way, has emailed in and said, interesting, though it doesn't really matter, your son's age hasn't come up yet. Well, it did come up. He's seven, yes? Yes. Notice I didn't ask how old he was. Uh, It sounded to me like if he's able to point cars out to you that he'd like you to notice on the road, he's not two. I suppose he could be three, and I suppose he could be 17. Um, But I don't know if that matters. I don't know that I would be doing this any differently, whether he was three or 17. I would only want to know if he had the linguistic and communication skills wherewithal to participate in Plan B with you. And you've told me nothing that suggests to me that he doesn't. So the things that we're talking about today are the things that it sounds to me like I would try to tune up on. And then if it still doesn't go well, we'll gather more information. Here's the nice thing about Plan B. Even when it doesn't go swimmingly, you do get more information about why it didn't go swimmingly. And then we figure that out. And we go back to it. So you've got an open invitation to call in next week 
let us know how it goes, but you do have some homework to do. Um, now, one thing you did mention that we should probably just spend a few more minutes on, you said you were having trouble with proactive Plan B, and I think that what we may have established is that the things about Plan B that we might do differently would make Plan B difficult, whether you're doing proactive Plan B or emergency Plan B. But you did say one other thing. Before you told us what was hard about Plan B, you told us you were having trouble finding the time to do it. Is that still true or not so much? Um, yeah, there's because I'm trying to get my husband involved too, and he's like, well, when I don't want to get him upset before bedtime or we we definitely seem to tiptoe around because we don't want a temper tantrum. Well, one of the things I often help families that I work with do is find a good time to do Plan B. And I completely understand why at the moment you're thinking that Plan B will just get him upset, but we're not going to be doing Plan B that way anymore. That doesn't mean I can guarantee that he won't get upset. But... Um, one thing you can do is, and I recommend this frequently, you can make an appointment with your son and actually bring it up with him and say, "There's, I don't want to talk to you about your behavior. I would just like to understand something better. When would it be a good time for us to talk? And maybe that could be one of the first things you and your son figure out. I'd pick a time when he's in a good mood to raise the topic with him You'll have to reassure him because he thinks talking is about behavior. He may have the impression that talking means he's in trouble, that you're mad, um, that he's done something wrong. And so you may have to explain to him that none of those things are true. That's not what it is that you guys will be talking about. Otherwise, he will not be terribly enthusiastic about talking. Um, tell him there's just something that you wanted to understand better about um you not noticing cars he's pointing out to you when you guys are in the car together. And if he's like most kids, he'd be happy to tell you about that. Mm -hmm. If this is about his behavior, if he's in trouble, if you're mad, uh, I don't know, if somebody approaches me, I'm in trouble, they're mad, this is about my behavior, I'm not particularly enthusiastic about talking. But if this is about me helping somebody understand something, well, no, that's a horse of a different color. There you go. All right, thank you. You've got your marching orders. Now feel free to call back um, Okay. next week and let us know how it goes. And uh, you know you can call in this program anytime you want to if you need reassurance that you're not being taken for a fool, that he didn't learn it from you or that you're a failure, because none of those things is going to be true on this program. Take care. Good luck. All right. You. Thank you. You bet. Bye. See why callers take priority on this program? really helps me flesh out what's going on. And there's not that many things that can get in the way with Plan B. Um, it's a relatively short list. Um, shall I do the list? Because we actually don't have time for 
the emails that I've got lined up, but hopefully we'll get to them next week. Um, you want to make sure you're doing this proactively, not emergently. You want to make sure you're doing plan B, not plan A, proactively, not emergently. You want to make sure that your neutral observation is really neutral, and that means this is not about behavior. He's not in trouble. You're not mad. You want to make sure that what you're talking, what you're trying to gather information about is a specific unsolved problem. If the unsolved problem is too vague, and this includes behavior, then um, you're not going to get any information, and your child is going to be less enthusiastic about talking because it feels very much like it does when he or she is in trouble. You want to make an appointment. Um, wanna, under most circumstances, I actually don't like surprising the child with the unsolved problem. Um, good that you're doing it proactively. Not necessarily good that you're surprising the child with the topic because then even though you're not in the heat of the moment, the topic is still a surprise, and that still is, believe it or not, still a little too emergent for many kids because they didn't know what y'all were going to talk about. So you might want to uh, give them some advanced billing. And remember, um, you want to understand. You're curious. You really want to know. Um, now... We're going to, hopefully, mom's going to call back next week. Um, lots of people feel like they're not very good at plan B in the beginning. because um, And lots of people feel like they're being played for a fool. That's how society makes parents of challenging kids feel. Society tells you the kid learned it from you. You were too passive, too permissive, too inconsistent, too non-contingent. You didn't teach your child who's the boss. Um, a lot of parents feeling awfully bad out there, unnecessarily, because of the challenging behavior of their challenging kid, just because of how society makes people feel, just because not enough people yet understand. I'm not talking about parents here. I'm talking about society. Too many people don't yet understand why challenging kids are challenging. And that's what this program is about, and that's what all of the resources on the Lives in the Balance website are about, and that's why they're free. Yes, there are things on the Lives in the Balance website that will cost you money. If you want to send a care package to somebody, and I do hope that you will, um, that's going to set you back 30 bucks, I think. Want to buy a T-shirt? Um, we don't give those away for free. Bumper sticker? Can't give those away for free either. Beyond that, um, totally free resources on the collaborative problem-solving approach. Um, one of the things I meant to mention to mom, the mom who called that I forgot to, there's some great videos on the Lives in a Balance website about what Plan B looks like. It's in the Plan B in Action section, and um, those are probably worth watching before uh, attempting Plan B proactively. The next time there's some great streaming video of Speaking, you may feel like you've gotten a big enough dose of that on this program, but if you feel like you are ready for more, um, there's the About Collaborative Problem Solving section of the website where you can hear me speaking. That content's going to be updated pretty soon because I've shot new video that's more current. Um, 
But that's what that website is for, and that's what Lies in the Balance is for. Why should parents feel alone? Why should parents feel like they're being taken for a fool? Why should parents feel like they're... Why should parents feel like society views them as passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent disciplinarians? None of that's helpful. None of that helps parents feel better about attempting this really hard thing called Plan B. So, thanks, Mom, for calling in, and um, thanks to all of you for listening today. That's going to do it for today. I hope you'll join in next week for another uh Parenting Your Challenging Child program. In the meantime, good luck with Plan B this week. Talk to you next week.